five past seven, we'll all be finishing eight o'clock. That was our divine promise to you, so it wouldn't have taken you hostage. Can I hear me okay? Yes. This is a trial night, okay? I really wanted it downstairs for the sake of the classroom feeling. It's mere, and I can feel you say, community feel. I think if you try and get in a bigger hall, you'd maybe lose some of that dynamics, and then we've got sound systems to cater for, and I think this is fine and cosy. It's easily heatable. But to be fair, and we mentioned this to the, to the leaders, um, we just didn't care how much folk would come along to, to our Bibles today. I came with in Craig Rochelle and Greg uh, um, more popular people than me before, but what I really missed when we did the videos was just that um, personal touch of Ken and Fat, the stories that we were sharing with the people. So I think it's good in discipleship, and my heart was that we would not just become theologians, but we would become just good students of the world. And before I forget, Lucy said I want to share, so I thought they'd come and come do. I was just walking down just now, and I was just praying for the Bible study, and I just felt the Lord saying, come and drink. And maybe a lot of us are tired. I am tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a busy day, and maybe you're thinking, I reckon if I can manage a Bible study, I do. But the Lord's saying, this is not a Bible study. This is a drinking deep for this fountain. Mm -hmm. I've seen a fountain fall and overflowing. And it's just being refreshed as we come to this Bible study. Very good, sir. And Faith, I gave you notes, but I'll maybe name it worth taking notes. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I just want you to relax. Okay, that there's no exams, there's no... And you've got to Ken as well, I am not an expert in Romans. I haven't went to Robert Gordon University and got a degree, and you're not going to be Greek or Hebrew words. Uh, which might disappoint a few years, but the heart was just to take a book, come round the table and get the heart of Jesus. History was my least favourite subject at school, so if you had came here to get a historical view in Romans, you would have been as well buying at him and watching <laughs> Discovery Channel. <laughs> And the purpose of this isn't the purpose of Bible study for me is this. It's not to get smarter up here so that we gain more knowledge. I'm not trying to mark you into theologians, because I'm not a theologian myself. I read this, I heard this great illustration about Bible study, and it was this that the flower is made for the poet and made for the the biology or the science of it. And what he meant was us that a flower was made for us to look at and appreciate the art of creation. We can add the art, can't we? Mm -hmm. I'm not the best gardener in the world, but when I look at it, I can appreciate a flower. But for a flower, <laughs> flower biologist will do is they will come, they will take the flower, they'll dissect the petal, they'll put the petals under a microscope to see exactly if it is going on, the diseases it's carrying, the biology, the makeup, the DNA, if it marks it so beautiful. 
But you care for what happens to the fuller from your dear. It dies, right? So if you come in the Bible to study it, you can dissect it so much and dilute it so much and try to get the right theology and doctrines and historical evidences and how it pieces out together. If it was Paul really honored to deal with the Roman culture, if you dissect scripture too much, you destroy it, in my opinion. So when we come to Bible study, I don't want us to lose the sheer beauty mm-hmm. of what Paul was trying to write to deal with salvation, to deal with these fancy words. If we dissect it too much, and this evening it's near about we're going we're never going to dive in to chapter one, verse one. We're going to come up the mountain and we're going to get a clear view of the hair letter. It was a letter. It was written with an intended purpose. They a guy in a postal card, Paul. And if you miss the intended purpose of the hell letter, we could start at Romans 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, dissect it, but you have no clue the overall purpose of the letter. So it's like us, when I'm going on a journey, we was doing to Yorkshire for our, our summer holidays. Before I get in the car, for the day, like most miners will do, Google Maps, right? <laughs> Because I don't want to jump in the car and think, right, I have to mark us up as I go along. We've got a dog new, right? So you go into Google Maps and you see, right, that's the end point. Let's plan the journey. But I can't exactly follow I'm gone. We stopped in past Dundee and we can't follow services. Go to the Gretna uh, outlets. outlets for businesses. <laughs> How would I just boom past that? But before you even start a journey, you look at it and think, right, this is the pathway we are taking. And that's just been a lot about my comfort zone, because some of it is, I'm going to have to read some details, and usually I sort of remember sermons, and then I came to a nervous disposition, but then I've got to remember them so much, so that I didn't have to start looking, it's through memory and revelation. So that's a slightly different, the fact I'm used to it. But this is some facts to deal with Romans. It's a letter. They call us an epistle. An epistle is a fancy word for a letter written for an apostle. It's just called it an epistle. I like that God uses letters. There's 21 books in the New Testament that are letters. Why is it good that it's letters? So when we say the book of Romans, we're really meaning a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people in Rome. Letters are personal, aren't they? It's it's different for me getting a book for the powerhouse shop and just coming and reading a novel. Letters, I've received some wonderful letters during my time in ministry, and it's just got that personal touch. And I will say that our generation are a lot better at letter writing than the younger generation. I'm not sure for generation I'm in. When it comes to letter writing, I'm in the younger generation. We do quick text messages and... Probably not so much emails. But letters was a way of communicating back in the day. Fan did he write it? Because you would think if it was the first book after Acts, it was his first letter. It wasn't it. They think it was his fourth or fifth letter that he wrote. Galatians would have been the first. First and second Thessalonians. And then possibly Romans. Paul was saved in 38 AD, the year of our Lord. 
It was about 20 years, 18 years after that, his conversion, 56 AD, to think this was written. Imagine, you can Paul's story, he was an absolute rebel, persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And then Christ met him at road to Damascus, and Jesus takes persecution seriously and personally. Because Jesus never said, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? So if we can, if there's persecution happening, Jesus takes it seriously. Anyway, Paul gets miraculously converted, and he has divine encounters. He meets up with other disciples, the other apostles, they struggle to welcome him in initially, but he becomes bold in his preaching, signs, wonders, and miracles follow him. He ascended to the third heaven. It says, I'm not sure if I was in my dead or alive, in my body or my spirit, but I went to heaven. And I came back and he says, I'm full of mysteries that should not be uttered, but there's colours unimaginable and things seen that kind of yet be described. This is a guy that knew Jesus in relationship, personally, but carried a revelation. When you read Paul's letters, he gave the revelation of the body of Christ. I could go on and do that, but I'll stick to the facts. It's one of my favourite books in the New Testament, and one of my favourite chapters is Romans chapter 8. When we think of Rome, we think of Romans, I wonder how much people you think that uh, Paul was writing to. Paul never planted that church. Paul had never been to the church. Paul eventually was sent out to go to prison. But Paul wrote it for the, in Corinth. He would have wrote this letter, and a woman called Phoebe would have taken the letter to the church in Rome. Before I studied this, I hid in my head that it would have been like a Colosseum, full of Christians, right? And so it's growing, it's multiplying, they're on a Colosseum, and this girl called Phoebe comes up. And what they did was they just read the letter to the church for Paul. Then they had no intentness. It was just, this is the letter for Paul. And in my head, I thought, probably thousands of people would have been there. And that's probably why Paul wrote the letter. But Paul wrote the letter to encourage a bunch of people, and he gives exhortations at the end of the letter, saying, please pass on my love to such and such. Please pass on my love to such and such. Please pass on my love to such and such. In the household of, they think I was as much maximum he was gave a letter to three house churches, possibly only one. They think that because it's very plausible that the church started, it said, on the day of Pentecost, they came from Rome to Pentecost. Some Jewish people came from Rome to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And if you came for happening the day of Pentecost, the church was birthed, they were full of the Holy Spirit, and they went back to far they came. They think that was the people that started the church in Rome. There was no evidence that it was a great explosion of God's work in Rome. And they think they just got together, they was doing their best, and then people that was mentioned was the whole church. Which you understand. So if I was writing a letter and at the end says, okay, pass on my love to Moggy, Margaret, 
<laughs> pass on my love to pass on my love. Tell them I'm asking for him. Fit as a danger we at. He can't miss fork out. So the thing was such a smart group of people that he went through, okay. I'm thinking of them, I'm praying for them, pass on my love. And there's no evidence that was a great explosion, but it does mention a few times on the household of. So it opens a door that maybe I was a house church in at a place that's near just one. Okay, I've come on a bit here. This is seen as God's love letter to the world. Rome, what would you say? Rome would have been multicultural, but it was seen as the cutting edge or culture of the free world back in. You see, I'll say, you see what America's become, the, the leaders of the free world? Right? Back in, Rome was seen as the elite. There was wealthy, people came for hour to be there, they excelled in geography, they sent people out for wars and stuff like that. So when God, through Paul, writes a letter to the church in Rome, it's as though God is writing to the world. It's not a Jewish community within Israel, it's as non-Jewish um, forefront of the world. So maybe this is what God would say to the world. It is seen as Paul's finest work. Remember us, Paul didn't sit down to write a doctrine. He did not sit down to write theology. He wrote down, this blows my mind, with the Holy Spirit he sat down to write something all worth to a group of possibly maximum 50 people to help them in their walk with Jesus, pertaining specifically to salvation. It is seen as Paul's finest work pertaining to theology, his deepest work. <coughs> Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther. Only familiar with the life of Martin Luther. He was a Catholic monk, things of the 1500s. As I say, history is a really bad subject for me. He was steeped in Catholicism, he was a lecturer. And so I get a little idea of Catholicism. They do believe in grace, but yeah, help God give you grace. So they've got seven sacraments. One of them's marriage. One of them is this, confession of sin. So if you confess your sin, God gives you grace. You get married, it's another sacrament, God gives you grace. Taking communion, getting confirmed, you do that, God gives you grace. And that's how you earn salvation. So Martin Luther was a lecturer at a Catholic university and he was losing his mind because he gets signed up with Fittest Card, a confessor. So if I hear a bad thought or Martin had a bad thought, they thought us, if you sin and then I confess sin, it's unrepented, unconfessed, then you can be eternally lost. Quite a heavy burden, is it? So, if you hear a, a sinful thought or action, you would get in touch with your confessor, you would say to your confessor, look, I've sinned. I felt like this towards a brother or a sister, and the confessor would say, okay, forgiveness, sins, God will give you grace. The problem was, he was at two o'clock in the morning, having a bad thought, and thinking this, if I die, I'm going to be eternally lost. So then he had to go and chop in the door of his confessor at two in the morning. 
and say, hey, I had a bad thought, and I confess I got really, really fed up. And he was a lecturer, and fit changed his life as Romans. So he preached through the Gospels, he did lectures through the Gospels, but Finney came to Romans. And Martin Luther would then write us, because Martin Luther was one of the leaders in the Reformation that sort of came out of Catholicism, they disbanded that when they started a, a new movement by faith. So what happened was, as he was reading Romans, salvation, the work of salvation came alive and it was like the light bursting into his soul. And he would then write these words, he would write things like, he, his wish was that every Christian should read Romans and be able, before they meet Jesus, be able to recite Romans word for word. And if they could do that, they'd be in good state. I must confess, I do not know Romans <laughs> word for word. And there's a fair chance I will never ever know Romans word for word. But it helped him so much realise that salvation was, that grace meant, that faith meant, that God's side meant. Okay. Can I ask something? Aye. Did that Martin Luther start the Lutheran? Uh, the Lutheran movement? Aye. Uh, quite possibly. Although it would match up, although I'm not qualified to give a direct answer. It was just a... Aye, the Lutherans. Aye. Quite possibly. Aye. Okay, why is it in the Bible? Why is it after Acts? The first five books of the New Testament is seen as action books. So the first five books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you will read the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. In Acts, it'll tell you exactly how the church was birthed and what happened with the birth of the church and how it moved and how it spread. But for isn't it contained within Acts, is, what would you say, information on how it pertains directly to your life. The setup of the New Testament, it's similar to the Old Testament, you've got your action books or historical books, it tells you this happened. Jesus walked and walked, Jesus called his disciples, Jesus raised the dead, Jesus heals the sick. And then the bursting of the church, the Holy Spirit came, they were spread, uh, they they raised up, God raised up apostles, Peter, Paul, Paul came and familiar with that story. But after that, it starts with Romans as a foundational book, even though it wasn't the first epistle written, but foundational explain the first five books. So that's what happened to gain your salvation. Romans tells you, this is what that five books means to you. And then it goes on and on in every epistle until you get to the last prophetic book, which is Revelations. So they think Romans is put first because it was foundational to salvation. An explanation book. Jesus never explained exactly what salvation meant for us. Although he spoke about being born again, although he spoke about being redeemed and being saved and repentance, Romans would delve deeper than it is explained in the Gospels. Okay, how is Romans divided up? Fit is the journey. So for them that's taking notes, chapters 1 to 4 
Chapter 1 starts off with the good news. And then quickly changes from chapter 1 to 4 is this. They say this section is about us. Man's sin and the way of justification, which we'll explain in a second, okay? Then I panic. Paul is a lot to tell our humanity. They've got a problem. Every single one of us. You okay, think the problem is? Sin. He's, all, he's what a loser do. Before you get to the, he starts with the good news, but before you get to justification and all that meaning, you have to understand <coughs> sin. What is it? What does it look like? What does it mean? I mind reading a book by R.A. Torre, and it was a How to Win Men for Jesus. And he always says the first thing that you should do in convincing a man to conversion is convince him first that he's lost and that he's a sinner. Before you get to Jesus Christ alone that saves a sinner, people must first understand, like a sheep, they have gone astray and they need saved. This is what Paul does. You're lost. You're like a sheep. You've gone astray. You didn't me up to God's standard of glory. Everyone is. Is has something in common. Without God, we're completely imperfect, we're sinful, and we're lost. That's the good news, isn't it? <coughs> but it's truth before you get to the good news. That's what chapters 1 to 4. Chapters 5 to 7 will be Paul explaining how to live free for sin. Free for the power of sin and free to live for Jesus. So this is the journey. You're a sinner. You get saved through faith. But God offers yes. You can live free. Not just for the history of sin, but the power of sin, so that you can live for Jesus. Chapters 8 to 11. There's overlaps here. This isn't just definite. Christ as eternal saviour. For Jew and for Gentile. He then takes his own people into the fold. And speaks about how we are grafted in. But God's plan and redemption for the Jewish people. Something I probably didn't preach much about is chapters 9 11. We preached good on it, probably. And then 12 to 16. So you're a sinner, you get saved by faith, God sets you free for the power of sin, you live for Jesus, you see God's eternal plan for salvation. Chapters 12 to 16 is this the outworkings of salvation. So what does you being saved look like to your neighbour? Or look like to you? Davy shared a great scripture on Sunday if he was here. Hear the attitude of Christ Jesus. Humble yourselves, preferring others above yourself. So Paul is saying this. You've got all this truth. It has got to look like something. And it's practical. People should be able to put their finger on it. 
He will speak about slaves obeying masters. He will speak about loving each other and they taking offence. I'm glad he didn't part at the start. Because if we start off with behaviour, then we start to obey all that stuff in a rare effort. But the journey for looking the map, the destination, you see the journey that Paul is trying to take these Christians doing. You are sinners. This is a way of salvation. This is how we be free from sin. This is how we live for Jesus. This is about eternity. And how does that look for your life just now? What a wonderful saviour we have. And what a wonderful gospel it is. And no wonder Paul would say it's the gospel of good news. <coughs> There's nothing else I can think of that will offer you a transformed life that will change you by his power and glory and grace for all eternity. Cars and moving of the spirit in new wine. I could drink a bottle of wine in front of you. My behaviour will change. I will walk up in the morning with a servant feeling drunk and dehydrated because it will cost you something. But the power of God is near like that. It changes our life by his grace and by his glory. We're going to touch on three things. So this I'm standing going to go in. To chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to hear three, these three words. And already a few years, I'm like, I can't part these. <laughs> They're biblical words. And we've got to keep it really, really simple. So that even I would understand if I was saying, yeah. I will say again, I am not an expert in this field. I am just somebody that has sat and doing and given time all the kid. We, Jesus, to look at the beauty of this. Never dissect it and be a little petal that's going to send you out. If you go over here, far too tired, and they want to pick up your Bible again, my job has been worse than useless. But if you just get a taste out of the fountain, and you'll want to drink. And if it would happen in this church years after is that the small group of people was going to be severely persecuted for the soldiers in Rome. I'm speaking about getting boiled in tar. I'm on about getting dragged out in front of lions and coliseums. I'm on about them singing songs while they're getting martyred and people looking on and saying, hold on, what's going on here? Some of them had miraculous escapes, like the tar wouldn't have burned them. And they had to find some other way to try and kill him. Some, they just went to glory. And they said, if it prepared them for that moment, and they say this, Romans, Paul's letter to them was so impacted their life, it was like, wow, he is real. There's eternal value to fit what's being said. Okay, we're doing good for time. Salvation. If I say salvation, what does that mean to you? Just have my wee, wee, wee on a thing. There's never an answer. Let me see my black marker. Underneath your sheet. Right. 
Then I think oh, I'm gonna be along as well. Salvation. Some of you have been saved a while, does it mean to you? Eternal life. Eternal life, very good. Eternity. I'll make a discussively point, I'm just gonna find them up on the board, okay? Eternity. Salvation. Forgiven, totally. Forgiven. Okay, anything else, somebody else? Being alive. Alive. Salvation. Salvation. Washed. Oh. Washed. Washed. Clean. Washed clean. Cleansed. I think it said washed. What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? Right, somebody else said something else. Who was it? Hope. Hope. Okay. Set free. Set free. Neither of these will be wrong. Anything else? You think of things see salvation. And your life. Joy. Joy? If I give you a bad paper and say for next week, right, doing some stuff, it's because I'm putting you in the spot. So you think, okay, what's he, what's he looking for? What's he looking for? Jesus. New life. Jesus, new life, yes. All these things. All the good stuff. Peace. Peace. We're on a roll, yeah. Price paid. Price paid. Okay, we could put in loads of stuff, blood, cross, um, the list goes on and on. So I'm going to introduce these three words. The first thing, oh that was right by the way, justification. We're going to read for Romans chapter 3, verse 23. There's a book I pick on you. Could you read verse, chapter 3, verse 23, and... 24. That's okay. 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 Right. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's all right, Ian. That's all right, Ian. Okay, so says is number one. Justified. Justified is us, as we have read, that everyone, blanket, universal, was a lost sinner. So on one side, we've got sinful humanity. On the other side, a holy God. We've got a sin problem. But Romans 3... 23 and 24 declares, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, which happened at the cross. So we call this historical Salvation. Historical salvation. Some commentator says past tense, 
salvation. It's this. Justification. It's a work Jesus did for you in history at the cross. It's past tense. <coughs> so on the cross 2,000 years ago, man's problem of sin was paid through the precious blood of Jesus, right? That's a historical truth. Historical salvation. It doesn't mean your history of sin, but it's Christ's historical work in your life. 2,000 years ago, the problem of humanity's sin was solved, was given hope, was given life through the precious blood of Jesus. One God, one Lord, one Saviour, 2,000 years ago, he did it. It is finished. But historical salvation doesn't mean that when I get saved, God, this is what Martin Luther got, that when I get saved, I my historical sins get forgiven, but my present and future sins, well, we'll see how that goes. Romans is very clear that justification is this, that my previous sins have been paid for, my present sins have been paid for, and praise God, every sin that I will ever commit has been paid for through the historical truth that Christ died on the cross for my sin and for my shame. My sin was a scarlet, yet he has washed it white as snow. And sometimes I lived under the guise of this. I knew that when I got saved, my history was wiped clean. Because that was really dark and murky. But as I progressed as a Christian, I thought, oh no, I'm now aware of sin. I feel like a condemned man because I'm not good enough. And you have to watch for that. If it's conviction, go to Jesus, repent, and hear that moment. Paid under the blood. But if the enemy can come in, we is okay. Us. I am history of when he was really bad, is wiped out, but he's going to really terrorize you for this. Condemnation comes in, and you feel more useless than worthless. Historical <laughs> salvation. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Well, that's amazing. How much can I sin? How much can Abdi and the planet? How much can we, if we really set our minds to it, how much sins could we commit? A thousand? A million? A billion? It's infinite. The amount of sin we can never commit. Yet, the word of God says, for sin abounds. Even more, grace abounds. So there's an infinite capacity to sin. How great is grace? At the very least, it's infinite plus one. 
at the very least, which gives you just a blow your mind spectrum or the incredible grace in what Jesus did on the cross. Paul, as he writes the letter, he like has a conversation with somebody that's naive in there. He said, well, if God is so good and graceful, why should I stop sinning if he's just going to keep being graceful? Fits a point. We'll come to his answer in further weeks, but he answers a lot of questions. You think, well, okay, if he's just going to keep forgiving me, why do I need to live his life and then my own life? It's a good question. I'm not going to answer that tonight. Paul deals with it as we go on. Historical salvation. You're justified through faith. If it Jesus done historically and it impacts your life. The next thing. Present salvation. Rebecca, could you read chapter 5 of Romans uh, verse 9 to 11. Yes. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ had made us friends of God. Okay. You hear that? Since we've been made right through the blood. And then there's this verse in verse 10. Thanks, Rebecca. While we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the what of the Son. We will be saved through the no, we will save through the, the life of the Son. So through his death, historical justification. And how much more will we now be saved through his life? Life. Okay, is that the else got life in the Bible? Sorry. Yes, it's the end of the verse. It's the end of the verse. It says death, then life. It says death, then life. Right, so we'll be saved through his life. So this is present. Sorry, I'm in trouble, Mama. It's still in good terms. Present salvation, right? So, Jesus historically died for you on the cross, right? You still with me? This justifies you through his blood. Wipes away your sin so that you get to heaven. Okay? Mm -hmm. Historical salvation. Present salvation is Jesus saving you through his life. As a complicated term, but this is the term. It's the best term. Sanctification. It's washing. So right now, present salvation, God sets us apart and washes us and it's what Christ does in my life now. It's that song. Even though you didn't feel that he's working, yeah. he's working. He saved me at the cross, historically, for my sins, forever. 
and he saves me the day. For the power of sin, and dare I say it, he saves me for me. It is the character of Christ's life in you. Coming with his victory, not just giving you something card victory, like shooting an arrow for heaven, as he lives his life within you, through your spirit, you'll become victorious, because Christ's victorious. You'll become more than a conqueror, because he is more than a conqueror. You'll get to enjoy and feast in his peace and his joy and all the fruits of the Spirit, the love and the kindness, <coughs> being purified, being sanctified. If you're still taking notes, chapter 6, 14 says this, that sin no longer will have mastery over your life, for you no longer live under its requirements of the law. Instead, you live in the freedom of God's grace. You live. Maybe I should say this, this way. Christ lives through you, gain you life. By God's grace. Present salvation. Face Jesus' day in your life. Now, <coughs> justification, historical, Jesus died for you, he shed his blood for you, changes your pathway to eternity. You didn't get there with your justification. Sanctification, a present help in time, is a present presence, salvation, sanctification. Lastly, Glorification. <coughs> you could... Right. Romans 13, chapter 11, nothing has got a long line. Romans 13, chapter 11. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Good to go. Oh, I just wait until I'll be back up there to the sport. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is, time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is neither now, neither now than when we first believed. Okay, so it mentions another salvation. Wake up! Your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. Well, that can't be historical salvation. It's happened. It's a done deal. It can't be my ongoing salvation, the present salvation, because that's still happening. The lastly, glorification. It's a future or eternal salvation. When I don't want to go, you'll be wonderfully patient. It means us. I'm closer to seeing Jesus and being in heaven today than I was when I first got saved. 
He's coming to the air. There's only three chapters left and he's writing this. He's, he's saying, look, waking up, church. Waking up. The time is urgent. The day of salvation is closer to death than when you first believed. So I'll say this. I'm 41 years old, according to my birth certificate. The day I got saved, January 27th, 2002. So for that day, I'm roughly 21 years closer than the day I got saved, 21 years closer, nearer to being with Jesus. If I've been saved the longest here, is that okay? If I was saved as a child, I'll just pick on it. Oh, how long have you been saved? Mama, you're obsessed with death, but it's life for now. Okay, if I was good at math, what's a three at the end going good? 70 years. Is that right? Okay. Only more than that? 68. <laughs> okay. So you can use that for yourself. 68 years nearer than the day she got saved to meeting Jesus. 68 years. For that day, as the Christmases rolled on, as the seasons changed, and the teeny iPhones, and the teeny tablets, and they've gone... TVs and colour TVs and broadband and digital and the world has so changed. We get 68 years for saying yes to Jesus. 68 years closer to seeing him face to face. And the pole is like waking up. It's getting closer. It's not getting further away. You might be gaining years on earth, but you're also your time on earth is ticking down. To the day that he said, see Jesus and be with him forever. And that is the final part of salvation. I'm just going to guess that nobody has experienced that side of salvation yet. <laughs> You're never sure. Some people like books that have died and go to heaven and then back. But I have seen you write on the books. But we've experienced that, experienced that, but... I can if we should brought doing salvation, but if we wish to, we've got one thousand. If this wasn't good enough, probably the biggest thing to look forward to. Forever with Jesus. Mm, yeah. So Paul is saying in his letter to the church in Rome, this is salvation. This is salvation. And sometimes we miss it if I was to say to you before we start Romans, what does it mean? that you're saved. You, you might have would, would have touched on a little bit of some of this. <coughs> some folk would say, oh, but my sins are forgiven. It means I'm saved. Okay. Other folk would say, I'm going to heaven. It means I'm saved. Okay. Some would say, I've got Jesus in my heart and in my life. It means I'm saved. If you just land on one of them, Paul would say, probably you're a bit there, but get Romans. And then you'll realize 
Wat just near salvation on its own? Wat needs a salvation on its own? When we speak as a church about being saved, we should know that we are speaking about Jesus on the cross, historically, wiping away all my sin, all my shame. Now one, not through me, not because I'm good, but because he's graceful enough, he saved me through his precious blood, gift of grace. And I know that he lives his life in me and through me, and by his grace and through faith, he works his plan of salvation in my life, and lastly, in one day, when I have said and done, I will meet him face to face in a blissful place. God heaven. For there's no sin. For there's no power of sin. There's no nothing been tainted by sin. That there's no death. That there's nobody poor. There's no infants dying. There's no cancers or tumours or gravestones or addictions or bad habits. Would any fight this fight again or fight against temptation and trials? And I'll land that to a close. I'll leave you with this verse, Romans chapter 1, 3 or 4. And if you want a memory verse, Memorize us before two weeks' time. I'm not going to test it, but if you want a memory, I'll get So, we have discussed so far about salvation is a thing, and that's from discussing how it works out in our life. But Paul puts across that salvation is a person. But once you can the person, you see for the Saviour it is in our life. Romans 1, 3, 4. The good news is about his son. If we're struggling about fit churches, about fit is this good news, it's near a thing, it's near a subject, I would say this, it's near even a good theology on salvation. It's near dissecting the petals under a microscope. If you do that, you often miss the beauty. Paul, the good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line. And he was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And that's what the Saviour brings into our lives. And that prayer will finish. Feel free to hang back as long as you want and discuss if you want. I deliberately didn't put people in groups and questions. I want us to be teach Malawa, I know it's time, you can feel free to bite back and, and, and discuss if you want, but I didn't want it to be too wordy and too lengthy. Let's pray. Jesus,
We thank you for the beauty of creation, creator, redeemer, saviour. We thank you for the historical truth that you came, you lived, and you died. And through faith we receive that we are justified in knowing you and receiving eternal life. Yeah. We receive it through the wonder, work, and power of your blood, <coughs> through grace and mercy. We're undeserved sinners. Mm -hmm. You count us worthy enough to come and to shed your blood for us. And we simply say thank you. And we thank you right now. And so would I feel you or see you? That you are working in our lives. That you save us by your life. That you are an ever-present presence. That no time or no space or no moment could we ever say that Jesus has abandoned us. For you have declared that you never leave us nor forsake us. And help us as your people to appreciate and behold in our Christ's life. Help us never live this life bound by sin, bound by shame, just looking like some other person of the world. But help us to shine like bright lights in this dark and weary, barren world. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to seeing you face to face. When all this teaching will be done and our theologies will be said, but God, that beautiful eyes of fire that burn with a passion for your people, and a place of bliss, a place of absolute wonder and mystery, yet you have revealed it through your spirit to your people. And we look forward to the unfolding of full salvation in our lives. And in just a moment, we can be scooped up and at the banqueting table with Jesus. We are for all our fellow brothers and sisters for every tri tribe and tongue and nation, circling room, the throne room of Jesus, joining the eternal song of the angels, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. We love you, Jesus. You've humbled us. Continue to teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.